Welcome to episode number 181 of CXO Talk. I'm Michael Krigsman, and today we're talking about digital transformation and marketing. Digital transformation has become one of the great jargon buzzwords of our time. But when we talk about it in terms of marketing, what does it actually mean? What does it really mean? Our guest is David Edelman from McKinsey. He's a partner at McKinsey, and he is so well-respected and a great, prolific writer, author, speaker, that we're just honored to speak with him today. David Edelman, how are you today? Doing terrifically well. Thank you, Michael. And good afternoon, or whatever time of day it is to everyone out there. That's right. We don't know with, uh, with a digital audience, uh, can be folks around the world. Anywhere. D- David, let's jump in and please share with us briefly about your background, about McKinsey, about your areas of focus. Sure. So I, I've actually been working in the internet space since way back, since 1991, uh, when the internet first started and one of the major telecom companies asked what would the internet do to their business Um, and at the time it was pretty shocking when you put together all the statistics for example fax traffic between the u.s and asia was 15 percent of their margin uh, and that was all going to vanish so early on starting to understand what the internet was about to do in disrupting businesses really got me interested in looking way more deeply into what this could possibly lead to. So at the time I was with another consulting firm and worked with a number of people to set up an e-commerce practice to help companies start to think through how to lay the groundwork for what the internet would do. And then later on in the 90s in 1999, I was part of the team that started Digitas, um, now Digitas LBI, the interactive agency now owned by Publicis and got a really deep first-hand look at what it took to actually get digital programs going in companies, hands-on, at the rock face, working with the creatives, the technologists, the marketers, in the early days of really understanding what websites, what search, what display all really meant. And then about eight years ago, I joined McKinsey to help build our digital marketing and sales practice where we work at a broader level to help companies across all different industries work through some of the bigger, yes, that word, transformational elements uh, needed to ramp what they're doing in digital marketing and sales. And that includes broad issues such as organization structure. Uh, Moving to digital is not just a question of moving dollars from one media, one channel to another. You really need to think through different ways of operating, structuring the organization, what your relationship should be between what you do in-house and with your agencies. There's new skills to build in terms of analytics, technology to put in place, and whole new ways of thinking through the processes by which you run programs and market. And so we're working in a very hands-on way with clients to build those capabilities, show proof of concepts of how working differently can actually lead to performance, and then helping clients scale what they're doing. So it's not what you might consider to be typical McKinsey, kind of legendary, just strategy, organization, recommendations, and PowerPoint. It's hands-on. 
uh, and we've got analytics folks, technologists and designers now on board to really help clients make it happen. So for you, when you are looking at marketing and sales through the digital transformation lens, of course, there, there is an element of tool, a heavy element of using tools and software, but it's far more encompassing than just the software itself. Oh, definitely. Uh, when you actually get into the core of what digital marketing is about, it's all about using data to have increasingly personalized interactions with somebody, knowing the information you have about them, about their context, and then having some kind of experience with them that's going to serve their needs at the moment through the device and in the context that they're in. So besides the technology to enable all of that, you need to understand what are the different segments who might need different kinds of treatments? What is the content? What are the different interactions? There's never an obvious answer right at the start. So there's going to be constant test and learn. So having the processes to constantly put a relentless stream of new tests out there, figuring out what to test, is it timing, is it trigger, is it content, and working through how to get those tests out the door, read the results, optimize them over time, all of that requires different kinds of process setups. And if you're working with multiple parties, with agencies, with different media companies, stringing that whole supply chain, so to speak, together for digital experiences can actually be fairly complex. And the key is to really simplify that and work it through so that it's not, it doesn't need to be reinvented every time you want to do something new. If you're just joining us, we're talking with David Edelman, who is a partner at McKinsey, and we're talking about digital transformation and marketing. As we have this discussion, there is a tweet chat taking place with the hashtag CXOTalk. So David, given the fact that true transformation of this type involves so much more than just tools, involves the processes, the organization, why is it that when you hear about digital transformation, especially in marketing, the emphasis is all about software? Buy a tool and life will be great. Well, there are some very big companies out there who are selling pretty important enterprise tools that are critical for enabling digital marketing. And the fact is that large budgets will need to be spent on those tools to make it happen. They are necessary, but not sufficient. And uh, let me give you an example. Uh, for one of my clients who's a fairly large bank, um, they already had, frankly, all the digital technology you could possibly want. And in fact, most of our clients have way more technology in different parts of their operations, bought by different groups than they realize. It just hasn't necessarily been strung together. It hasn't been thought about in terms of what is it going to take, for example, to do a remarketing program. So if I send an email out to somebody, they click, they land on my site, they look at something, then they abandon, and then I want to reach them not only through a follow-up email, but through a display ad. Now, that's fairly routine in a way. I mean, remarketing's been around for a while, but actually to be able to do that accurately and rapidly, because if you don't do it within 36 hours, you might not really need to bother. 
um, you have to string together a number of different tools often to make that work. And sometimes also the people involved are in different parts of the organization. So it's important to carve a pathway through those tools. And so for the bank that we were serving, they had a whole mix of tools from Adobe, from Salesforce, from Oracle, and Google for DoubleClick. And what we were able to do was help them lay out for about 15 different use cases of things they would market. What is the workflow, uh, the process, the templates across which systems, what are the connectors that they need to have in place? What's the data visualization that they're going to need? And set that all up so that for each of the use cases, all the technology is essentially in a box and ready to go for them so that they don't have to rethink it every time. They need to move fast. They need to be able to get results very rapidly to be able to optimize. And fooling around with the technology every time and needing IT support is just going to slow them down. So it's important to have that cut through pathway, but then the processes underneath it to make it work. Given the expansive nature, given or, or all of the components that are involved, let me say that when you're having these discussions, who is your counterpart on the client side? In other words, inside a large company, who, who is the right person to be responsible for all of these pieces you've been describing? You know, it varies depending on the structure of the company and whether or not they are more of a marketing brand-oriented company who sells through third-party channels like a packaged goods company, where that's more likely to be on the CMO side. A more direct sales company, such as a retailer, a telecom company, or a bank, it may be more the e-commerce and channel management side. But what we're actually seeing more and more is that the inquiries are coming at an even higher level. It's usually the general manager of the overall business because they recognize the value of digital, whether it's to drive direct digital sales or from an omni-channel perspective to guide people through a journey that may start online or on a mobile phone and then go into a physical interaction. The general managers are realizing this is critical and often involves a number of functions underneath them. So they are looking to ramp the productivity of their marketing, growth in digital sales. And so it's a total business imperative. And they're mobilizing their teams to do it, even though the day-to-day -day execution may be guided more by somebody on the CMO or the e-commerce side shop. We have a question from Twitter, and Colin Crook is asking about customer experience and the role of substantive content. Now, it's Twitter, so I think that's what he's asking because it's, it's abbreviated, but, uh, but the role of content and customer experience, really good content. Maybe talk a little bit about that. Yeah, one of the things I think that's been underplayed in a lot of the written stuff about digital um, has been content, has been the stuff. What actually are people interacting with? Um, people get very enamored with super high-powered analytics um, and the technology and the media, but the reality is people need to engage in content, and terrific creative is still often what it's all about. The greatest programmatic buying 
uh, is not going to matter unless there's something that moves people to buy. And often it's not necessarily just a discount shoved in somebody's face. It's got to be something that connects people to a need that they want to address. So content is absolutely critical. And the role of creatives um, in many companies is unfortunately underplayed or many times just outsourced to agencies. Agencies will always have a role, they're, they're critical, but within companies themselves, they have to understand what's the emotional fabric of their brands and how is that going to translate into the messages and content that they provide. So content is critical. Content varies though at different stages of the journey. So if you're in the early stage of just considering whether you're in market and what are your options, then you need more that's going to help you understand the whole category. So for example, one of my clients is in industrial lighting uh, and LEDs are the thing now. Uh, and LEDs have completely transformed the market. And the kind of content in an early stage of a journey is really more about case studies, helping people understand what's possible with LED lights. Uh, showing installations, showing great things that lighting designers and architects have done. People are shopping for inspiration and learning what's possible. Then they click on that and then understand what are the products underneath it? What are the specifications? Then underneath that, where can, where can I buy it? What are the service requirements for making that work? And so there's a whole flow of content needs through that journey that you need to think through. And it may also vary for different segments. For a construction manager, that's gonna be different than for a lighting designer, in the case of the lighting example. So you need to work that through. Uh, and that's part of the planning, is to think through those content needs of different segments throughout their journeys. We have a very interesting question from Zachary Jeans, who asks, is it the company, the job of the company to define the customer journey, or is it the customer that defines the path to purchase? And uh, let me just remind everybody that if you are watching this, you can participate on Twitter with the hashtag CXOTalk. So again, Zachary Jeans asks, is it the chicken or the egg? Is it the customer that defines, the company that defines the customer journey, or the customer that defines the path to purchase? Well, I think you may have read my two articles five years apart. Um, about five years ago, when I first wrote about the customer decision journey, uh, I framed it in terms of customers coming up with their own journeys and marketers chasing that journey, understanding what that journey is and trying to chase that and find the right place to be. And I've come to realize that for an increasing number of types of products, marketers can actually help steer and shape that journey by providing capabilities that keep somebody engaged. So let me give you a great example of something personally that happened to me where my journey was clearly shaped. So about two years ago, my wife and I were thinking about buying solar panels for our house and did some poking around online and actually, buying solar panels is not as easy as you think. There's a lot of complications to it, tax rebates, things like that, installation. And so it just was taking us a while, but then actually got 
a piece of mail, yes, hard, physical snail mail, that said, your house may be a good candidate for solar power. And I thought, okay, maybe they just say that to all the guys. <laughs> you know, is that just something in mail? But I opened it up, and there was a custom URL for our house. I typed that into my browser, and boom, a picture of the top of my house from Google Earth with solar panels superimposed on my house, and then a, the right number to fit on my house, then a calculation on the side of how much energy those panels would generate. With a feed from Trulia, they were able to figure out the size of my house and could calculate what the likely percent of energy needs were that my house would need. And then it said, click here to talk to us. So I clicked and right through the computer, as I'm doing now with you, I had a conversation with a customer service rep from Sungevity, which was the company that offered that. And he guided me through and showed me a short video of the process and how it worked, gave me two names in my neighborhood as references, and said, contact them and then come back if you still want to do it. So I contacted them, got great feedback, went back to him, got him again. He knew exactly where I was in the process. And then we went through the whole leasing process and resolved that, and it all happened. And it was incredibly smooth. And I didn't look at alternatives. The money made sense. The leases seemed economically relevant. And essentially, my journey, you might say, was hijacked, but I would call it shaped. Um, because often, you don't know what you're going to need. You don't know what it's going to be like. And I think companies do have an opportunity, in many cases, to shape a journey through the right kind of capabilities put in. Uh, and I think there there are opportunities to do that. So I actually encourage companies to think about ways that they can bring proactive data to bear to help somebody see what's relevant for themselves, automate the entire process end-to-end -end and make it incredibly clean to do, bring contextual relevance in so know where I am in my journey and guide the process right to that and bring some cool innovation to bear um, that captivate me and get me excited. Those four elements, I think, are really the ingredients. And when you think about a lot of digital companies who captured attention, they've used those four things to shape the journey. So I think it's a combination of both, but companies do have more opportunity than they may realize. That is an extraordinary story because... I'm just imagining for that company to go through this process of communicating with you across so many channels, multiple channels, and combining multiple data sources. It's not just a veneer of marketing, but it's actually a rethinking of their fundamental interaction process with customers. Yes, it's about thinking marketing is helping people through their journeys. So I think of the strategic imperative here is to step back from thinking of marketing as just shoving messages into people's faces, as I alluded to before, and saying people want to have some kind of journey. Unless it's an immediate impulse purchase, there's some process 
that people will go through. And to the extent you can help them through the stages of that journey, you'll be captivating them more powerfully. So there's a, a strategy to think about it. And we think about customer journeys in terms of five steps. There's first, we actually we reuse the term consideration because we think consideration is considering that you're in the market for the first time. Well, well, you're in the market, maybe not for the first time, and you're thinking through what your options are. Then you do a bit more evaluation. You dig in a bit. You look online, you talk to people, you may go to a store. Then you think about what to buy. Not only what to buy, where to buy, how to buy, how to configure it, how much to pay. Then after that, you experience it. You experience the product, you experience the service around that product, you experience brand communications from being a customer. If that goes well, you'll advocate on the brand's behalf, which becomes content that can be used as fodder for other people's consideration and evaluation. And if you're really into it, you'll bond more with that brand, letting them send you emails, you might download their app, join their loyalty program, and be more and more engaged with the company. And companies that we've worked with who've actually taken that journey map, laminated it, and use that as the basis for thinking through when we launch a new product, what's going to be the whole journey? When this campaign goes out into market, it's not just about the first step of getting people to consider us. How do we take them all the way through? How are we going to carry them through that process? And it may vary by segment. Um, some may already be very close in with your brand. Some may be people first coming to market. And so there's going to be differences for different segments. And you may have to do some analysis to understand which ones are more valuable. But it is around thinking through a strategy of journeys. And I think that's one of the most important actual transformational elements to work through at the same time that all of the process stuff has to come into place. David, we have a question from Dave Burkhead on Twitter who's asking about a piece of this, which is how can you translate information gained through digital marketing efforts to traditional channels? So it's how do you integrate the two, the data together from the two? I, I, there may be two different sides to the question of how to integrate data from digital channels with traditional channels. I mean, one thing is that digital channels provide a great lab for learning about who really engages with what kind of content and being able to throw out there a whole bunch of tests on YouTube or social media of low cost content with different kinds of messages in it. And then looking at the profiles of people who then engage with that content can provide incredibly valuable information before you might invest in an above the line campaign. It tells you, which content resonates, who would be the kinds of audiences to target, all of that can be valuable. And all the more reason to think about your marketing in terms of faster cycle test and learn. So I think as an input into what to do traditionally, it's, it's very important. I think also what for many companies, what's happening in terms of people's journeys isn't that they just stay completely online. 
So for one of my retail clients, for example, they did a survey in the store of asking people what did what led them to come to the store. And a third of the people in the store said they had gone to the site within the last two days before going into the store. Well, that opened up a lot of thinking about how they were spending against digital. Because originally, they had been planning their digital marketing spend against digital sales because that seemed easy and straightforward to measure. And so it was all return on ads was return was sales. And their agency was buying against that and everything was plugged to e-commerce sales. But the site was actually an incredibly powerful intermediate marketing channel for the stores. And so they needed to understand different proxies to figure out what might be a good way to allocate their budgets so that they could not only drive e-commerce traffic, but store traffic as well. And some modeling over time started to reveal that product page views were the most important thing. That if you were able to generate more and more product page views, that actually got people looking at the product. Now you can try to do things to get them to go to the store and reserve the product and check on inventory. But in the end, still from a budget allocation perspective, it was about driving product page views. And over time, that was an incredibly powerful correlation with store traffic. And they were able to raise total traffic by 3%, which for a retailer is huge. By rethinking their digital spend, putting a lot more money into digital and not just looking at e-commerce sales. So you've really got to understand the levels, the levers that are driving customer action, and you can use the data. The data is the mechanism for understanding that, and you can use, you can run experiments with digital to learn about these things. Experimentation is absolutely key. Uh, in fact, it's a competitive advantage to be able to do more experimentation to get more data and bigger data sets in which to do modeling. If you actually think about the core basis of statistics, a lot of correlations are based on the understanding how the variance in one thing affects the variance in another. And you need a lot of data and some variance in order to do the modeling. Uh, for example, if companies are doing media mix modeling when they haven't been spending much on digital in the first place, they'll never spend on digital because there's not enough in the model to show the variance in digital spend and how it's affecting. So you need to do a lot more aggressive experimentation. And that gets into process and organization. So one of the things that we've been working hard on with our clients is setting up more war rooms where cross-functional teams get together. So you've got about 10 people who represent marketing, analytics, design, front-end development, back-end technology, finance, sometimes legal and compliance, all in a room to start getting the design, the planning, and the execution of programs out the door in rapid cycle. Very similar to the precepts of agile software development. And in fact, Scott Brinker has a terrific book all about this, Hacking Marketing that explains a lot of the parallels. And we're big believers in this, where 
this kind of ongoing, constant, get things out in the market fast, iterate, test and learn, then scale what works is critical to optimizing things over time. So if you can't get it out the door fast, if you can't get the data back quickly, then that slows you down. So you can't test as much and it's harder to optimize. So being able to have those muscles to do that fast cycle, which has a bit of technology certainly to it, but has a lot more process in it, that's really critical to driving more effectiveness from your spend. On this point, Arsalan Khan from Twitter has a question, David. And he's asking, when you're talking about things like user experience, for example, do you, is it better to hire user t technologists and teach them the marketing or hire marketers and teach them the technology? Which, again, it's one of those chicken and egg. Which comes first, the technology or the marketing? Well, you know, ideally you have a few of both in a room together and they cross teach each other. I mean, that's mostly the way um, we've done it. And you tend, what you, you tend to see is that people who are interested and, you know, so motivated will cross learn um, between the two disciplines. You know, you definitely though, you have to start with marketing because it is still about the customer and thinking through the customer's need, where they are in terms of what they want to accomplish and thinking about from an empathetic point of view, what somebody is going to want to interact with. It requires thinking about the insights, the context, the goals of somebody, and the design has to come from that and the technology has to be built against it. I think too often it's easy to start from a technology perspective and build something that's cool, but it may have too many bells and whistles. It may be too complex. It's not necessarily empathetic with the context that somebody's in at a given time. Um, I'll give you, you know, just a very simple example from marketing technology itself. Um, when you look at a lot of the analytics tools that are out there from many of the providers, um, Adobe, Oracle, Google now has, they're getting way, way ahead of where people really are in their capability to use them. They're extremely sophisticated. They're just amazing what the capabilities are. But for you know, 75% of marketers out there, there's a lot more basic stuff that they want to be able to have quickly ready at their fingertips and able to execute. And, you know, thinking about, well, what's the fast path there? You know, a marketer would be designing this with the use cases in mind for most of the people out there and giving them simple ways to execute and then having paths to be able to do the more complicated and I think that's one of the things we actually are helping our clients do. And I, I think the technology firms are starting to recognize that and they'll get there. And it's not meant to be critical per se, um, but it's very easy from a technology point of view to overload the user. And I think that's something in marketing, especially you have to be really careful to avoid. It's really interesting to hear you talk about this balance 
between the technology and the, the business drivers and the relationship to the customer, it seems like that balance is, is very hard to achieve, and many companies make the mistake of being too tech-oriented, and so then they don't achieve their, their business goals. But we have a question, another question from Twitter, from Connie Woodson, who asks, she's looking for advice on predictive analytics. So when should you use predictive analytics? Why should you use predictive analytics? When doesn't it make sense? So tell us about predictive analytics in this context. Okay. Well, predictive analytics, there's a number, I mean, that's a, another term we could call a buzzword somewhat. Um, but there's, there's two ways to think about predictive analytics. One is trying to predict who are likely to be the best responders to some kind of situation that you're going to provide. So being able to build lookalike models of some kind and find those people um, either in your own database or in third-party databases and use that to target your messages. Sometimes that could be based on static information, so finding people who fit certain kinds of profiles, but increasingly it's going to be about finding people who are in a specific context in the moment, sometimes maybe unexpectedly, and using that to figure out how to reach them and send a message. There's also, though, predictive analytics, which is looking at an overall campaign if you do this kind of a program that's based on good models, that's at a certain scale with a certain budget, what should you be able to sell? So it's somewhat forecasting it and predicting what should be the impact of something if you actually do it at scale. So there's, there's both of those. I think more commonly it's the former, um, which is building models to actually find people individually uh, and be able to do that at scale. And I think predictive modeling is going to be extremely important going forward for more of media buying, especially as TV and cable become addressable. Uh, already we're seeing in Canada, Rogers offering addressability on more and more of their cable base, which probably makes Canada one of the going to be one of the leading markets where programmatic buying, which is the ability to target and pay for individual impressions on an auction basis based on data. So that's programmatic buying in a nutshell. Um, being able to do that at a very broad scale across not only traditional digital, but also increasingly traditional channels that are becoming digital. And having those kinds of models to be able to find new kinds of predictors of people who would be in your market would be is going to be very important so that you know where and how to bid. So let, let me give a, another example here um, so that for certain kinds of companies, so for let's say a telecom company, uh, they may want to understand people who are in the market for a phone but probably could not afford a high-end phone and they may have a lot of inventory of older phones. So they want to be able to target people who would want to spend less on a phone and who may also not have the credit to be able to buy a higher-end phone. But they don't want to spend the money to run credit bureau reports. 
So what are the predictors to be able to find those people and provide them with content? And you know, that's going to be people who stream from certain sites, uh, people who interact with certain kinds of content are probably more likely to have that proclivity. And so they can market great deals on lower end phones to those people. And th that would be the kind of example where predictive modeling would make sense. We have about uh, 10 minutes or a little bit less remaining. And we've been talking, so, so when we think about digital transformation, technology, of course, comes to mind first. But as you have been describing, it's really about the, the customer's needs and the business's, uh, the business's ability to be empathetic and organize itself in order to meet those customer needs. And there's a word we have for that, which is communication is a very important part of it. You're a consultant. That's what McKinsey does. And so would you share with us some of your thoughts from a consulting standpoint for helping effect these kinds of changes successfully in our companies? Sure. I think one of the things that mobilizes companies to take action, mobilizes people, mobilizes all of us, are stories. And you need to put together stories, stories of what the customers, your customers currently would like to accomplish and why they would in terms of the context of their lives. And what are the compromises that they're making now? Uh, stories where they just can't get things done. And then what becomes the story of how you can break those compromises? Because often value is created when you can break compromises that people are facing, when you can make it easier. And if you, you know, certainly think of the major digital companies you know, like Uber, they've broken great compromise, huge compromises about transportation. Um, but even you know, the airlines, you know, breaking compromises of needing paper tickets and being able to do everything completely with a mobile phone end to end and then if your flight is delayed being able to use intelligence to immediately put you on whatever flight they can so you don't have to wait in line with you know 50 other people to get put on another flight and so breaking compromises is critical and that's going to come from stories and you got to do some journalistic poking around to get those stories it doesn't always come from data you've got to get out and talk to people talk to consumers, look at it through their shoes. It's shocking to me how few people, how few marketers or people in organizations have actually gone through their own buying process and taken on the persona of different types of people and actually see what it's like. Uh, so you've got to get into the customer's shoes and use that as the rallying cry for driving change. It's all of the financials, everything will come if you can match what the customer really wants to do. So turning those stories into compelling videos and vignettes and creating personas around them and then designing to suit the needs of those individual people, that's what's incredibly powerful. So coming back, for example, to the industrial lighting company, uh, they really sold mostly through distributors. They didn't know their customers that well. So going out and actually talking to lighting designers and architects revealed that 
they're online extensively and they're in social media forums asking all kinds of questions about design, about energy efficiency. And there were very specific forums where these questions were being asked. And there were no other OEMs, no manufacturers who were in those forums answering questions when the OEMs often had even better information than the customers. And so they decided to create a social media focused war room. I know it's an overused term, uh, but they were basically they set up four people to monitor those forums and make it very clear that they were a manufacturer, but that they could provide factual answers to the questions. And as they did that, it brought more and more information back about what people were looking for, which were case studies, led them to create more case studies, and it changed the whole way they marketed because they had that customer insight, those stories that they were able to tell. So that's the most important thing is the stories. Telling the stories but and understanding your customers' stories. But if you want to drive change inside an organization and be a change agent, you need to be aiming this inside as well. Isn't that so? Yes. And so then there are stories from the inside out. Um, because then there's, well, what does it take to actually make something happen? Um, what are the things we've got to address in order to solve that particular problem? Are there policy issues that get in the way? Are there organizational structural issues that prevent us? You know, are there um, things in our technology that are preventing us from doing stuff? So yes, it does require a journalistic approach internally to start addressing what are those capability, infrastructure, organizational issues to address and bringing that to the fore. And there again, telling a story of what would it look like if we broke those internal compromises as well. I think it's on both sides and bringing that together. But just simply saying, we need to get 4x times the current digital volume that we have now. Well, that's a goal. That's important. And that you know, is certainly something that for many companies is economically critical for them to do. But it's not necessarily going to give people enough of the, the how and the why and empower them to understand where to take action. So under that goal needs to be a vision of how the operation and the story, both internally and externally, would change. David Edelman from McKinsey, we have just a few minutes left. Now, we've been talking about relationships inside an organization. What about the relationship between marketing and technologists or between CMO and CIO? There can be tension there. How does, how does that get resolved or what's the right relationship? Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, when I was talking about war rooms before, one of the most important things that happens in digital, especially when you're doing fast cycle, is you're getting people from a number of different functions to work closely together. So in a tightly functioning digital marketing war room, you will have technology people and marketing people sitting side by side. And I mean literally sitting side by side in the same space, working together and on the ground, helping each other solve problems, not handing it off, but in real time together. And similarly, CIOs and CMOs 
need to spend more time together. Now, a huge chunk of what a CIO needs to focus on is the maintenance of an infrastructure, keeping the cost down. There's a lot of pressure to do that. But if marketing has the budget and the ability to be a clear client for the CIO, where the objectives of the CIO aren't just cost performance, but also the support of the lift of marketing and those objectives are shared, then you have a dramatically more productive relationship. And so where the leadership team around the general manager gets together on a regular basis with a shared goal in mind of how they want to transform the company and work together to problem solve and address issues like funding, resource allocation, policy, things like that, it does take a cross-functional team to work closely together. And it's really a requirement of top leadership to bring folks together to make that happen. Well, we are just about out of time, unfortunately. And we have, and uh, Pisa Rose, a, uh, a listener on Twitter, says that she could listen to David Edelman from McKinsey speak all day because he's a deep thinker. And uh, David, thank you so much for taking so much time today with us. Thank you, Michael. It's been really a pleasure. Next week on CXO Talk, we are going to be joined by Steve Miranda, who is the Executive Vice President of Software Applications at Oracle. So he's going to tell us about what Oracle does and talk about software development on a very large scale. Everybody, thank you very much for taking the time today watching episode number 181 of CXO Talk, and we will